So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, you know, as you maybe can see, we're gonna go ahead with Sapiens by Yuval uh, Noah Harari. Have I left out something? I kinda... or I've pronounced something incorrectly. So, Harari. Let's put it like this. <laughs> and I really, really, really am looking forward to going through it. And as you can see, we, it's, it's already there. I know it's already there, as you can see. And so we're gonna just skip the intro and we're gonna skip all the other shit. Check out the podcast, link in the description. Um, Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. No. There is no justice in history. According to a famous Hindu creation myth, the gods fashioned the world out of the body of a pre, uh, primeval being, the Purusa. The sun was created from the Purusa's eyes, the moon from the Purusa's brain, the Brahimis, Brahimins, which are the priests, from its mouth, and the Kshatriyas, which are the warriors, from its arms, the Vaishas. Uh, peasants and merchants from its thighs or thighs and the judras which are the servants from its legs look said the average white citizen blacks have been free for generations well uh, i think this is just another thing right now uh yeah yeah i, I don't really know what i should do with this information you know what i should just uh, get out of it but but uh, yeah Look, said the average white citizen, blacks have been free for generations, yet there are almost no black professors, lawyers, doctors, or even bank tellers. Isn't that proof that blacks are simply less intelligent and hardworking? That's the dumb shit. <laughs> Trapped in this vicious cycle, blacks were not hired for white collar jobs because they were deemed unintelligent, and the proof of their inferiority was the paucity of blacks in white collar jobs. What bullshit is that? Like, like I don't know. Such such vicious cycle can go on for centuries and even millennia, uh, perpetuating an image, imagined hierarchy that sprang from a chance historical occurrence. Unjust discrimination often gets worse, not better with time. Money comes to money and poverty to poverty. Education comes to education and ignorance to ignorance. Those... Uh, those once victimized by history are likely to be victimized yet again, and those whom history has privileged are more likely to be privileged again. Culture tends to argue that it forbids. Well, I think I always think that it is just a one, one, one thing, but I think it is not. So, or is it? Since all, since it's also bold. Like I don't know. The thing is, yes, indeed. Which, um, but I do not. I do. I do want to point out that um, that it doesn't mean that you're always going to be just poor just because at this time you're not having the most money and just all kind of just stuff like no i just don't believe in that and i also don't want to spread that and um yes please please you know please please don't think that even though like i just totally get what he's talking about like there are systems in place there are things there are thoughts there are just victimizations there are just a lot of a lot of fucked up things that really can be a reason why you're poor outside of your competence and stuff but but we can always get out like there is a lot of i don't know there's a lot of um afro african-american i'm sorry african-american uh wealthy people like really a lot and also very successful people you know it's and also very successful people that came from nothing so so i don't know like please have a look at look at that Culture tends to argue that it forbids only that which is unnatural, but from a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. Whatever is possible is by definition also natural. A truly unnatural behavior, one that goes against the laws of nature, simply cannot exist. So it would need no prohibition. No culture has ever bothered to forbid man to photosynthesize 
thesis women to run faster than the speed of light or negatively charged electrons to be attracted to each other. <laughs> well, yeah, because it is per se not fucking working. So why would we forbid it? Um, is this the point? Like, I don't know. Well, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Since myths rather than biology define the roles, uh, rights and duties of man and woman, the meaning of manhood and womanhood have varied immensely from one society to another. Yes, indeed. It's all about some myths, beliefs, and whatnot. Not really about biology. The most common theory points to the fact that men are stronger than women and that they have used their great the physical power to force women into submission. First, the statement that men are stronger than women is truly only on average and only with regards to certain types of strength. Women are generally more resistant to hunger, disease, and fatigue than men. Yes. And I think especially disease, as far as I know. There are also many women who can run faster and lift heavier weights than many men. Obviously, there really are. A lot of fucking strong women and they fucking kick my ass. Women have throughout history been excluded mainly from jobs that require little physical effort. Have been excluded mainly from jobs that require little physical effort, such as the priesthood, law and politics, while engaging in hard manual labor in the fields, in crafts and in the household. If, if social power were defined in direct relation to physical strength or stamina, women should have got far more of it. There simply is no direct relation between physical strength and social power among humans. People in their 60s usually exercise power over people in their 20s, even though 20-somethings are more stronger than their elders. Another theory explains that masculine dominance results not from strength but from aggression. Millen millions of years of evolution have, met, have made man far more violent than woman. Women can match men as far as hatred, greed and abuse are concerned, but when push comes to show, I'm sorry, when push comes to shove, the theory goes men are more willing to, to engrave in raw physical violence. This is why throughout history warfare has been a masculine pro, uh, prerogative. And this is why I'm reading the book. This is why I'm going through that. And this is hopefully also why you're listening, if you're listening. And, and by the way, it's a podcast. So it, it, it makes way more sense to listen to it as a podcast than watching the YouTube video. Way more, a hundred times more. Um, yeah. But, you know, just knowing that we are what we are and we do what we do because of reasons that lay in the past, it's amazingly interesting to me. It is so interesting to me. It's insane. Man, fuck, I like that. As men competed against each other for the opportunity to impregnate fertile women and individuals' chances of reproduction depended above all on his ability to outperform and defeat other men, as time went by, the masculine genes uh, that made it to the next generation were those belonging to the most ambitious, aggressive and competitive man. Yes, indeed. And I do believe that it might be the same exact thing for women as well. Like, at this point of time, we are all, quote-unquote, only having women that do have relatively good genetics, I guess, because we would have all died, even though, and this is something that I've been talking about in the last episode, at this point of time, it is way more likely that people with bad, quote-unquote, genes are surviving because there is not a lot of, you know, predators out there. There's not a lot of reasons to die. So reproduction is far more easily done than just before, I guess. In terms of like, okay, if you have bad genes, you can still have kids and nobody gives a, gives a shit. But back in the days, you probably would have died before you would have been able to do that or nobody wanted to just mate with you. 
quite, if this just makes sense what I'm thinking about or trying to communicate there. But yeah. In order to ensure her own survival and the survival of her children, the woman had little choice but to agree to whatever conditions the man stipulated so that he would stick around and share some of the burden. As time went by, the feminine genes that made it to the next generation belonged to women who were submissive caretakers. And there we have it. Submissive caretakers. Particularly problematic is the assumption that women's dependence on external help made them dependent on men rather than other women and that male competitiveness made men socially dominant. Bonobo and elephant societies are controlled by strong networks of co cooperative females, while the self-centered and uncooperative males are pushed to the sidelines. <laughs> well, I think this... Um, I mean, like, we, we always have to think about it, and I think it is also a common theme in various different series and, and just comics and shit. Um, what would happen if men were against women? Like, just completely. Only men against, against only women, then... Then I don't know. I think women, not women, but women, uh, there would be way more cooperative. I, I would say this as well. Maybe because we all just are dicks and we all want to be the fucking leader and stuff like that. Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe. But uh, but yeah, I know it is a funny thought experiment, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I like the book so much. It's insane. The Era of History. Democrats want a more equitable... Society, even if it means raising taxes to fund programmers to help the poor, elderly, and infirm. But that infringes on the freedom of individuals to spend their money as they wish. Why should the government force me to buy health insurance if I prefer using the money to put my kids through college? Republicans, on the other hand, ha want to maximize individual freedom, even if it means that the income gap between rich and poor will grow wider and that many Americans will not be able to afford health care. If tensions, conflicts, and irresolvable dilemmas are the spice of every culture, a human being who belongs to any particular culture must hold contradictionary beliefs and be riven by incompatible values. It is such an essential feature of any culture that if even that it even has a name, cognitive dissonance. And it is something that you maybe also know. If you've been sticking around, you probably know that because I've been talking about it just for ages. Cognitive dissonance is often this concerned a failure of the human psyche. In fact, it is a vital asset. Had people been unable to hold contradictionary beliefs and values, it would probably have been impossible to establish and maintain any human culture. Quite maybe, you know, because if just you can't somehow agree with somebody else that is having different beliefs, you know, then, uh, if this makes sense, what I'm just talking about right now, then there was no culture, would have been no culture. Today we are used to thinking about a whole planet as a single unit, but for most of history, Earth was in fact an entire galaxy of isolated, isolated human worlds. One of the most interesting examples of this globalization is ethnic cuisine. In an Italian restaurant, we expect to find spaghetti and tomato sauce. In Polish and Irish restaurants, lots of potatoes. In an Argentinian restaurant, we can choose between dozens of kinds of beef steaks. And in an Indian restaurant, hot chilies are in incorporated into just about everything. And the highlight at any Swiss cafe is thick hot chocolate under an alp of whipped cream. But none, but none of these foods is native to those nations. Tomatoes, chili peppers and cacao are all Mexican in origin. They reached Europe and Asia only after the Spaniards conquered Mexico. Julius Caesar and Dante Alighieri never twirled tomato-drenched spaghetti on their forks. Even forks hadn't been invented yet. William Tell never toasted chocolate and Buddha never spiced up his food with chili. 
Potatoes reached Poland and Ireland no more than 400 years ago. The only steak you could obtain in Argentina in 1492 was from a llama. So, you know, what, what's your point now? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's indeed the case. Like, I don't know, everything is really globalized. Merchants, uh, conquerors and prophets were the first people who managed to transcend the binary evolutionary division us versus them and to foresee the potential unity of humankind. For the merchants, the entire world was a single market and all humans were potential customers. They tried to establish an economic order that would apply to all everywhere. For the conquerors, the entire world was a single empire and all humans were potential subjects and for the prophets, the entire world held a single truth and all humans were potential believers. They, uh, they, what? they too tried to establish an order that would be applicable to uh, or for everyone everywhere, which is never gonna work quite somehow. The scent of money. I do wonder if I just read too much and speak to less. And I also wonder if it's just not good if I do it in that way. Well, I don't know. The scent of money. In a barter economy, every day the shoemaker and the apple grower will have to learn anew uh, the relative prices of dozens of commodities. Um, if 100 different commodities are traded in the market, then buyers and sellers will have to know 4,950 different exchange rates. And if 1,000 different commodities are traded, buyers and sellers must juggle four. 199,500 different exchange rates. How do you figure it out? Current problem in the crypto space. I don't really get it, but I know what, what, what he's somehow referring to. Like if there's a lot of currencies, then it's going to be shitty because there's always going to be a rate and we always have to just figure out stuff. On the flip side, is it going to be a good thing to only have one currency on the whole planet? Hmm. Hmm. Since uh, I know where... I think I've just also talked about that or read something. I don't know. Uh, every currency is somehow attached to the state or to the country or to the whatever. Um, yeah. So, 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 yeah. Quite. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so the problem is, I mean, uh, I think it's been actually about an article about dollar versus euro and or why the dollar is the... Yes, of course, why the dollar is the um, the most important currency we are having, even though it is not the most uh, wealthy, not the most uh, expensive one, if this makes sense. You know, worth-wise, some shit. Well, well, you know, let's just move on. Some societies try to solve the problem by establishing a central barter system to collect the products from specialist growers and manufacturers and distributed them to those who needed them. The largest and most famous such experiment was conducted in the Soviet Union and it failed miserably. Everyone would work according to their abilities and receive according to their needs. Turned out in practice into everyone would work as little as they can to get away with and receive as much as they could grab. More moderate and more successful experiments were made on other occasions, for example in the Inca Empire. Yet most scientists found a more easy way to connect large numbers of experts. They developed money. Yeah. Made sense. Money is not coins and banknotes. Money is anything that people are willing to use in order to represent systematically the value of other things for the purpose of exchanging goods and services. So it's only a belief. Money per se has no worth. It's just what we believe. Back in the days it was backed with gold, but nowadays it is like not possible because there's so much fucking money around. Um, not even just also paper-wise, like digital money and stuff. Well, 
The sum total of money in the world is about 60 trillion, yet the sum total of coins and banknotes is less than 6 trillion. More than 90% of all money, more than 50 trillion appearing in our bank accounts, exists only on computer servers. It's just not even that, but uh, it's our system. And I think it is also just a really interesting way to, to think about money as just a way to, to get things, to, to make things happen and stuff. So, you know, which, by the way, is something that I really struggle with. Um, um, because, uh, yeah, be, be, because yeah, I don't know what I've been talking about. <laughs> um, well, anyway. When a wealthy farmer sold his possessions for a sack of cowrie shells and traveled with them to another province, he trusted that upon reaching he trusted that upon reaching his destination, other people would be willing to sell him rice, houses, and fields in exchange for the shells. Money is accordingly a system of mutual trust, and not just a, any system of mutual trust. Money is the most universal and most efficient system of mutual trust ever devised. And I, I think it is actually wonder that is working so good. I, mean, I go into a shop and I just use my money and then uh, they give me something. It is actually insane. I give them a piece of paper for something that's uh, important for life. I can't eat my fucking money, but I can eat an apple. But I, I can also buy myself an apple with my money. Like, it indeed is, at least as I'm thinking about it, a little bit of an insane thing, quite. You know, it might also be a little bit of an philosophical thought there, but, but anyway. The silver shekel was not a coin, but rather 0.3 ounces of silver. When Hammurabi's code declared that a superior man who killed a slave woman must be must pay her owner 20 silver shekels, it meant that he had to pay 6 ounces of silver and not 20 coins. And yes, and silver was worth something, and still is. Even though I think, hmm, you know, rare things are worth something. Once something is not rare anymore, it's not worth that much anymore. Counterfeiting is not just cheating. It is a breach of sovereignty, an act of subversion against the power of the, the against the power, privileges, and person of the king. The legal term is lease majesty, violating majesty, and was typically punished by tor torture and death. Counterfeiting. What is counterfeiting? Fake is not just cheating, faking, feign, simulating, shame, spurious, bogus, imitation. The Indians had such a strong confidence in the, the denarius and the image of the emperor that when local rulers struck coins of their own, they closely imitated the denarius down to the portrait of the Roman emperor. The name denarius became a generic name for coins. Muslim caliphs uh, arabicized this name and, and issued dinars. The dinar is still the official name of the currency in Jordan, Iraq, Serbia, Macedonia, Tunisia, and several other countries. So it all has, like, it's fucking interesting. It's really interesting. Should I go ahead with Imperial Vision? Yes. Today is actually a pretty good day, just chapter-wise. First, to qualify for that designation, you have to rule over a significant number of distinct people, each possessing a different cultural identity and a separate territory. Imperial vision. This is what we're going to talk about, because I think I haven't read the headline there. Second, empires are characterized by flexible borders and a potentially unlimited appetite. They can swallow and adjust more and more nations and territories without altering their basic structure of identity or identity. 
The British state of today has fairly clever borders that cannot be exceeded without altering the fundamental structure and identity of the state. A century ago, almost any place on earth could have become a part of the British Empire. Evolution has made Homo sapiens, like other social mammals, a xenophobic creature. Sapiens instinctively divide humanity into two parts, we and they. Yes, indeed, we don't like other human beings, especially when they are not like us. Maybe also one of the reasons why we just like people that are like us, because it is not a threat, you know, because we can trust in them. Which leads to a lot of body language things, a lot of uh, communication tactics and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, this is why I go through this fucking book, because it gives me ideas and gives me reasons for why I do things and why I want to know things and why things are how they how they is, of course, how they are. Really interesting. But I didn't get the whole board of thing there. Empires are characters by flexible borders and a potentially unlimited appetite. They can swallow and digest more and more nations and territories without altering the basic structure or identity. The British state of today has fairly cl clear borders that cannot be exceeded without altering the fundamental structure and identity of the state. The British Empire. The British state. That cannot be exceeded without altering the fundamental structure and, and identity of the state. Hmm. Hmm. So it's indeed like we versus them, like... We all are different, quite. This is what I'm seeing. And there is not like just one group of something in another area. This is what I'm seeing there. I hope that I'm not that wrong there. Evolution, no. In the language of Dinka, people of the Sudan, Dinka simply means people. People who are not Dinka are not people. The Dinka's bitter enemies are the Nuer, or Nuer, however. Uh, what does the word Nuer mean in Nuer language? It means original people. The sun never set on the British mission to spread the... Which, by the way, is pretty interesting. Like, of, we indeed don't like other human beings. Quite. Unless they are like us, then we fucking like them. The sun never set on the British mission to spread the twin gospels of liberalism and free trade. The Soviets felt duty-bound to facilitate the inexorable historical march from capitalism towards the utopian dictatorship of the proletariat. Many Americans nowadays maintain that their government has a moral imperative to bring third world countries the benefits of democracy and human rights, even if these goods are delivered by cruise missiles and <laughs> F-16s. <laughs> well, yes. Commercial tea farming did not exist in India until the mid-19th century, when it was produced by the British East India Company. It was the snobbish British sahibs who spread the custom of tea drinking throughout the subcontinent. Like, yeah, I know, I mean, like, to really be honest, like, what is, what is pure anymore? There is nothing that's pure anymore, like, just, I don't know. We, we are so, I don't know, like, at, at this point of time, indeed, we all are fucking the same. Like, there's no fucking reason to be xenophobic, which I hope means what I mean. Racialist, yes. Jingo, jingoistic, what is jingo? Racist. Well, I don't think that, that racist is like good, uh, good, 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 good uh, word to use instead of that. Good. Uh, I don't believe in that. Um, well, anyway. Really interesting, really interesting. But I, what I want to say is that at this point in time, since globalization is there, since we 
all got something from somebody else because of imperialism and because of people just coming to this place and invading it and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, like what is pure? There's not a lot of pure stuff. Of course, uh, we have different cultures, we have different uh, people, we have different colors of skin and, and all of that shit. But in the end, like we all have something from somebody. Quite. Quite. Not really, but quite. So, so I don't know. Who gives a shit? in the end in the real end who gives a shit well yeah anyway i just really love the book i hope that you appreciate it and like it as well um yes check out the podcast it's way better than a youtube video probably unless you want to see me which i i can understand to some degree also because you can read them i know but on the other hand like nah you know more of a waste of time i'd say but i'm still doing it because I do it because there's going to be some people that want to have the fucking YouTube video or some people that are going to find the YouTube video and therefore the podcast. So it's just win-win. Anyway, uh, the question of today is, can you make something? Can you build something? Can you do something? Can you create something? Can you whatever that you know is going to make somebody's life? Yes. But yeah, anyway. I wish you the best health of happiness and also success and also hope that you're going to remind yourself and you're going to be remembered, which basically means your legacy and basically means just being a nice person and then being remembered as a nice person, which is always going to be a good thing, you know, being remembered as a good person, being remembered as a nice person per se as well is, uh, it's, it's always going to be good, it's always going to be uh, appreciative, I guess, or something, or you can always appreciate it, like, this is what I want to say, anyway, um, with that being said, I'm going to end the episode and I really have to thank you for staying with me staying here by the way oh three questions why are you here what are you trying to change and what is bothering you the most these three questions are hopefully going to show you your purpose and maybe even a business idea which is kind of the optimal situation you can be in like business idea and purpose like what do you want to have more of in life i don't know anyway now i'm hopefully going to see you the next time maybe even subscribe to the podcast and or to the youtube channel i would at least appreciate that bye i'm gonna see you i just hope and 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 i just really truly appreciate that so i really have to thank you i'm gonna see you the next time stay healthy stay cool stay whatever and bye bye